the episode 1356 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1356. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here with uh, one of our favorite Longtime FDH Lounge dignitaries slash sportsology proprietor slash author, good friend Russ Cohen. Uh, we've talked to him a couple times here recently on hockey with the upcoming NHL entry draft, the NHL expansion draft. We did a preview of the Stanley Cup final, and uh, we are doing today a recap of the Stanley Cup final. And uh, both of us were right on who ended up winning the series, but uh, again, not going to break my arm patting myself on the back for that because uh, the team that won was the defending champions, the heavy favorites, the Tampa Bay Lightning prevailing in five games. I, I think this is this is the very definition, Russ, I think when you look at it here, the, the whole term gentleman's sweep, the fact that this went to five games to me kind of right. fits that bill. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it could have been a, sweat, a sweep, uh, maybe if Montreal had managed it a little better, it could have gone another game, but Montreal was never going to beat them. Uh, it's interesting because, like I had said before, like preseason I had picked uh, Montreal and Colorado, and mm-hmm. I said, you know, Montreal could win the Stanley Cup. And I just, I think I fell short of picking them to win the Cup, but I may have picked them to win the Cup. Who remembers, right? Okay. Only, only, only the haters remember. But sure. I, I did have them going. And then, you know, as always, when this playoffs are going to start and you always have a chance to renege on what you picked and because we you know i'm being asked to pick all the time so i i stuck with montreal for the first few rounds and at some point you know started picking tampa to win every round mm-hmm. and the only reason i didn't pick tampa to win preseason is because it's really hard to win back-to-back titles it is and i you know and with kucherov out you didn't know that kucherov was going to come back and still be the best guy in the playoffs you couldn't have predicted that right. even though he has great talent you still, you know, without actually playing, you didn't know that that would happen. And so while it is easy for us to pick Tampa once things got rolling and you could see what they looked like, then if you picked against them, shame on you. Sure. Um, but otherwise, there were a few things, you know, left up in the air that, you know, before the season started that at least maybe gave you pause because, you know, it hadn't been done since Pittsburgh. It hadn't been done in a while. Right. That's true. And uh, again, I picked uh, Tampa before the season. I picked Carolina before the playoffs. So I I was uh, wrong on my subsequent pick here. Let's put a pin on that particular point here. As I mentioned here for a second, any of the things that have given you some of the perspectives that you've had on hockey over a period of time, I know that there is an exciting new project coming uh, from you, uh, from Sportsology here uh, on Kindle. As far as uh, your experiences in hockey, some of the things that you've learned and observed along the way, the mo- moments that you've seen covering hockey, please take a moment to characterize that. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, called Tales of the NHL Draft, and then it's got a subheader that I forget what it is. But it's a, um, a series of stories. I put out four 
three of them are free. Uh, the fourth one you have to pay for. The fourth one's a doozy. I can tell you, uh, it has to do with the Kings, and Pete Weber gave me that one firsthand, and he used to broadcast Kings games, and there was a lot of dysfunction with the Kings. That's all I can tell you. It's very much worth it. They all are, but that mm-hmm. was the best one. One of the other ones is the time that the St. Louis Blues didn't even go to the draft. They just didn't go. They didn't make a draft pick. They didn't make a selection. They didn't go. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's a forgotten time. You know, some people remember that. Some don't, depending on your age. So there's some some really good things in there. Uh, I've been covering the draft personally since 01 until you know now. And the only time I wasn't there in person was in 05 because they had just limited it to people in Canada, but I still had someone covering it for me. So my website still had coverage. I've had coverage for every draft since 01 on sportsology.com. So I, I have a good you know, background to it. Do I remember every draft pick of every team and every team? No. I, no, I have to bone up on it like anybody else. But along the way, I've gotten a lot of stories, and that's what I plan to tell in this in this series. Well, yeah, your, your recall is better than most, no question about that. And, you know, as you're looking here, at historical analogies with what Tampa Bay just did. It, it is worth noting that the last two years, they got a team that, uh, at least on paper, uh, was not as good as the Vegas team that they got by to make it to the finals. So there, there is that notion here, too, uh, that Tampa Bay was really expected to beat Dallas last year, really expected to beat Montreal this year. Now, that said, they came through in both instances, but you mentioned about Kucherov being out for the season, and that was, uh, and again, I agree with everything you've said, this whining about how they evaded the salary cap. Nobody knew that he was going to come back in and immediately pick up as a top-five player in the world in the postseason. And even if yeah. you did, like even if you slowed it down for the one week, because mm-hmm. it really came down to you probably could have played the week before the season ended, and then they wouldn't have had one player in the, in the playoffs. Maybe it would be lost Colton or something like that. Again, if you gave every other team in the playoffs one more player, yeah. they were still the best team. Absolutely. And there's some talk now, uh, because again, they were able essentially to keep just about everybody that they wanted in place from the first Stanley Cup winner to the second one. Now, between the expansion draft and the cap challenges, uh, they're not going to have necessarily everybody back next year. That said, there's already talk that because Victor Hedman might need, I think, it, what is it, hip surgery, I think? It's it's hip or knee. I okay. watched him on the boat today. Okay. And while Steve Stamkos was next to him, jumping up and down, which he couldn't do last year, mm-hmm. um, uh, Hedman was not doing that. Looked a little stiff on the hip, so I think it is the hip. Okay. And that, it, it and is that a... does take, like, six months. So, sure. <laughs> sorry, people, they may be doing it again. That's what I've been, you know, saying. Exactly. And that's a thing where... I think it's somewhat analogous that when you're looking at the top forwards in the league, Kucherov being one of them, again, every player is different. But Hedman, you got to think, uh, and, and again, a little bit older, but not much. Uh, there's a very real chance he steps back in and is one of the top defensemen in the league for next year's playoffs, even if he hasn't skated in the regular season. Right. Absolutely. And if that happens, they've saved like I don't know, $7.8 million, something like that against the cap. And then all of a sudden, maybe they can keep Boudreau and Coleman together. Again, you know, everybody assumes that every year, every player is going to go for the highest bidder, right. the highest contract. And I've made an argument, and I could be completely wrong. And and again, I still think Tyler Johnson somehow ends up in Seattle, and I think Hedman ends up on LTIR, and that's how they have the money to keep these two guys in the lineup. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I just feel like it's possible when everybody's saying, no, 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 it's probably not going to happen. Now, Savard, he's, he's gone. They're right. not going to be able to hold on to him. But they have Cal Foot, so they're okay. And that's the thing. They've drafted so well, and they've left guys in the minors for so long because the team's been so talented, but they are having the guys like Ross Colton and Cal Foot and eventually Mitchell Stevens again if he's still there and Alex Baldelay if he is needed next year. So they have guys. It's not like they have a shortage of Boris Kachuk. They don't have a shortage of talent, right? Right. So they are able to put in two or three young players every year to make up for whatever losses. But end of the day here, who's to say that maybe um, Bruce Bott doesn't work out a deal with Boudreau and Coleman and say, listen, I know you could be entering the market and getting, you know, your highest paycheck to date. If you put it off for a year and you just go one year with us, next year we have a better situation. We know what our plan is. Here's our plan. And we'll have more cap space. And we'll get you guys those contracts then. But let's try and win it three in a row. What do you say? And, you know, to be honest, some hockey players would do that. Most wouldn't, but some would. Right. Well, And so I, I think they would have to think about it if they don't have any other way of getting around the cap box. Sure. And the chance to be part of a real, actual dynasty in sports is something that is so rare uh, in this day and age. I mean, you know, you you do have, you know, perennially over a period of time, the New England Patriots, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Beyond that, it's hard to really point at too much as far as... Yeah, I mean, even the Blackhawks, I don't call a true dynasty because there were years in between. It's close. Yeah, they're the closest it's been. I mean, you know, what was that, three and five years? I mean, that's... That, that's something right there. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say back in the day, you know, there's a case to be made for, what was it, three and five years for my wings or three and six years, whatever it was, yeah, back yeah. around the turn of the century. So, But it's rare. Point is, it's rare. It doesn't happen much. Tampa Bay has a window because, again, uh, few guys, uh, I don't think they have any key guys over 30 at this point. So, you know, this is, I mean, really key guys. Uh, so, well, Stamkos. Well, Stamkos. Uh, Sam, okay. He, oh, oh, well, time flies. He's over 30 now. Okay. I mean, yeah. that was, Russ, I think it was the first year uh, that uh, we were working together on our draft coverage was when he was coming out, 08. So, yeah, yeah time time flies, I guess. But uh, I just did an article on him. Uh, uh-huh. I put it up on Sportsology, and I have a picture of him at that draft, and his hair is blonder. He has no facial hair. Wow. He has very few missing teeth. If any, yeah, uh, it's completely different. And he's wearing a suit that he looked like he bought off the rack. Yeah, clearly he would never do anymore. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, a, a great guy, very deserving yes. champion, and uh, he has been uh, an outstanding player and uh, should be a first ballot Hall of Famer based on the kind of career that he's yeah. had. What I'm curious about here, as we look at this final, is what you saw. Because I got to give you credit in picking Montreal because most people like myself would have figured, eh, borderline playoff team at best. Maybe they make it in. A lot of times they pull a first round upset and that's generally about the end of the line. Uh, Carey Price, we talked about this, that, you know, somewhat similar to uh, looking back at, uh, at, at your guy, uh, Ken Henrik back in uh, 2012. Uh, as far as uh, Lundqvist taking uh, the Rangers to the Stanley Cup. In both instances, when you're looking at the back nines of a career, neither one far into it. Maybe the 10th hole, the 11th hole, if you will. Uh, you know, not, not the 16th or 17th hole of their careers, but uh, still good enough to take a team there. And that's what Price was able to do for the first three rounds. And then, of course, the young forwards that they had really kind of coming into their own a little bit. So I don't know if it's the young forwards 
uh, who have a lot of talent. But uh, I don't know what it was you were seeing, but I want to give you a chance to expound on that because you, you saw something coming that really nobody else did as far as them making it this far. Yeah, I can tell you what I saw. And, and again, but I went back on it and didn't think they'd beat the Golden Knights. Sure. So, Why know, would I thought you? there was a limit. And I was like, okay, this might be the bridge too far, so I'm going to pick against them here. But what I did see was Mark Bergevin built a playoff-type team with some toughness. Josh Anderson, Edmondson, those kinds of guys, you add that. I knew there was a youth factor. You know, they traded for Suzuki. I like what Suzuki did last year. They traded for Toffoli. That was another scorer that they added. They desperately needed some scoring. I knew that Cole Caulfield would play for them this year Mm because I knew after college was over, he was going right into the pros. I knew that from covering him for, you know, three or four years before he was a pro. So I had faith in that. And then I said, look, I was talking to Shane Loy, who I used to do Hockey Prospect Radio with, and, you know, I brought up the fact that I did pick them when we were talking about Carey Price, and, you know, we both sort of agreed, like, much like Lundquist, there has to be a series. Now, he, he could have done this in, in um, what was it, 2014, when the Rangers made it to the Cup, and Chris Kreider ran into Price, not on purpose, and he was out for the series, and Rangers, you know, beat the Canadians in that series. I Price was having a similar year then, but didn't happen for him and then now price what we were saying was if he could get to the what you would call the conference finals which this year i think was called the semifinals right or the right. cup even if he didn't win now you can make an argument he's had a hall of fame career because he's carried him on his back and he did just that this year so he actually did what we felt like he needed to do to meet the criteria to at least be in the conversation although the hockey hall of fame rarely puts in goalies which stinks for goalies because they just don't put in enough of them right um but that's a discussion for another day. But at this point, I looked at those factors and said, you know, they just have to somehow get through the regular season. So, you know, when I made this prediction, people laughed. Then people laughed when they were really limping along like a month ago in the season. And, you know, all I kept saying is I'm sticking with them because all they have to do is make it. Some way, somehow. They get in there. They've got the right makeup. Well, yeah. They got in there. And again, and they had a coaching change along the way as well. Yeah, so. and I didn't know that was going to happen. And right. Honestly, I, I knew Deshaun from you know watching him in like World Juniors and things like that. But as the you know the cup went on, even uh, even now even as the playoffs went on, I felt like he was making some mistakes that were bad. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and so they did it despite that too, because I don't know if he was the big reason they got there. I I really don't think so. I think it was the players and. I think, you know, like Shane Weber just gave it his all. So I just felt like they just had to get there. It's one of those teams that had to get to the playoffs. We always know every sport has these teams where you say, well, man, if they could have just made it to the playoffs, they'd have given everybody a hard time. Well, the Canadians did. Yeah, they did. There's no question about it. Uh, Credit to you for seeing that coming. And in terms of Tampa, one of the kind of cynical thoughts that I had here, we all have our Uh, thoughts on Kucherov's uh, press conference here uh, after uh, game five after the clincher. I read this as the opening chapter of now that uh, the NHL has its new TV deal. uh, You're going to the worldwide leader in clickbait and hot takes uh, for half of your coverage next year. Of course, Warner Media will have the other side of it uh, with uh, TNT. But, uh, you know, if you want to get talked about on, you know, the screaming A shows and that kind of stuff here, you better have uh, guys that move the needle with the mainstream. And this is something that kind of went viral here. So, I mean, the whole thing seemed to me a little bit sort of premeditated in that sense as far as uh, the, the opening salvo, if you will, and 
uh, giving their new TV partner uh, somebody something that they can talk about on their sensationalistic type shows. How did you see it? I don't think it was premeditated. I, I just think Kucherov was celebrating. He walked in there shirtless. He had to, you know, down a beer before he started. Right. Um, he's now got Bud Light as a sponsor, personal sponsor. So good for him. Uh, today on the, uh, the boat tour and then eventually the, the cup tour, I saw a little of it. And when he hit land, he had two guys, I think one was his father, pouring beers into his mouth simultaneously. Which again, <laughs> I said sort of beats the record for Alex Ovechkin for as drunk as he was for a period of time after his cup win. True. So I don't think it's premeditated. I think it's just Kucherov, and I was fine with it, and I don't think he did it to do that. I don't think he cares. I, he just doesn't care. Okay. And that and, and, and by the way, and everything that he was saying, uh, you know, about his goal. It was goal, true. Yes, yes, it was true. I, he's got the best goalie in, in the league uh, on his team. And, uh, Again, best in the league, best player in the history of that franchise. Yeah. He's more because more important than Kucherov, and Kucherov knows it. And and that's where I, I wrote that before the, the Cup started, and I, and I felt like it's true. Like, they don't win these two Cups if they don't have that goalie because he had to make massive saves at times that other goalies in the league just can't make. Yes, and, and that's where, again, when, when you're looking at a team that has, we both agreed, a top goalie, uh, arguably the top defenseman, uh, Kucherov is at least one of the top five forwards in the league, you know, and then and then where do you rate Stamkos and a couple of these other guys in here too? I mean, I mean Stamkos is, is probably the best leader. Best he's leader? no longer one of the best players, but he right. still managed to get eighteen points in like twenty three games, so still damn good. So in in terms of production, he's at this point uh, basically the the very very rich man's Jonathan Taves from when he was with the leading the Blackhawks yeah. of the titles. Yeah. So, giving you the level of production beyond, I think, what Taves was giving, even though he wasn't giving bad that, production. The precedent he set last year. Right. He played one game. Right. He scored one goal on his first shot. Do you think that fired up his team? Sure. Knowing how hard it was for him to get back? Sure. You know, and, and, and again, somebody that just has the talent level that he has, just, you know, teaming with talent top to bottom oh, yeah. uh, in that organization. And, uh, again, as, as they move to their new TV partners, uh, something that, again, the two-time champions coming in uh, that, uh, you know, with, with ESPN and with all of them, there's at least more of a chance to capture uh, some of the casuals. So you have an identifiable behemoth in this sport uh, going forward here uh, as the league enters this uh, new period. And Cooper today mm-hmm. had like a, a cigar in his mouth. And, you know, he went to, to college. He started his college career. Uh, and graduated from Hofstra, which is right next to where I went to college, Nassau Community. It was harder to get in Hofstra. I'll, I'll admit that to John Cooper. Um, <laughs> and then, but I, you know, then I rebounded and went to the University of Houston, so I, I made up for it. There but you go. Point is, he is still sort of like this regular guy. He had this cigar in his mouth, and he's like pointing at a lot of different fans, and really, like, he's really connected with these people. Like, he is not just your average coach. Like, Torch doesn't connect with people. He connects with dogs, right? Sure. That's what he's known for. Sure. Cooper really connects with these people. And the one thing I've seen, I remember I covered the first cup win in 04 and was there for three out of the four home games. They actually passed the cup to me in the locker room for a minute, which I was shocked. That's amazing. And I was early in my career, and I was like, wow. And I just gave it to the next guy. I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm, like, I'm not worthy. But thanks. And 
and what I've gotten out of it from then to now, because that was a completely different team. You know, they had Andrew Chuck, Latavia, Richards, all that. Then they had to, you know, get bad for a little while when Hobby Bourne left and got Stan Post got, and eventually got back to where they are now. And what I've noticed for the two games I was down there this time, uh, after the games, are most of their players stop and roll down the window to either talk to the fans after the game that have hung out there or to sign autographs. And I can't tell you every team does that. I've seen select players from certain teams do that. Some of the Flyers definitely do it. But this was almost like every player. And even to the point where, like, during the week, someone like Sergachev just stopped his car, rolled down his window, and was just like, hey, whoever wants an autograph, I'll give it to you. And those kinds of things really go a long way with fan loyalty. Well, and I will say this, and, uh, you know, maybe this is a little bit of uh, gravy training here. As I mentioned, my all-time favorite athlete in any sport. But the commonality of Steve Eiserman, who had led this organization for many years, what you're talking about there, Russ, let me tell you something, buddy. During the glory years of Hockey Town, that was the bond between team and fans. What you're describing is exactly the kind of stuff. If the Red Wings were having a parade, there's no doubt that McCarty and all those guys would have been rolling down the windows and whooping it up with the fans and all that kind of yeah. stuff. It's a carryover of that atmosphere. Yeah, conversely, I saw Chris Chelios once deny a little kid a, um, <laughs> an autograph. Now, the kid went up to him while he was eating breakfast, but the kid was probably like, Eight, 10 years old, probably didn't even realize, and he was just like, you know, no. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I even said to the people at our table, like, seriously? He's not going to sign this little kid's autograph. Wow. For, Chris Chelios really is a jerk. For as much mutual respect as there is between the two guys uh, from playing together, there's no way you could imagine Nick Lindstrom doing that. Just, I, no. I don't care. No. No way. No. Listen, I mean, if, if Nick Lindstrom was... If, if I, I don't know how this would happen where somebody could wander up to him, but if Nick Lidstrom was in the middle of outpatient surgery and somebody walked up to him looking for an autograph, he'd sign it. Yeah. Right? Gretzky's the same way. Yeah. I mean, Gretzky's the same way. Best thing I can tell you about Lidstrom, during one of the All-Star games, maybe in Montreal or whatever, he walked into the same club like we all were in and sort of like said hi or whatever, and then he eventually went upstairs to like the champagne room. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a strip club. It was just a bar, but he went to the VIP area, but he said hello to everybody. While he was doing it, he didn't just make a beeline. Now, he was very personal. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my second all-time favorite athlete, which when I put these guys 1-2, that really says something in terms of some of the guys they're in front of. Like, I can't tell you how much I was whooping and hollering the other day, for example, when Mark Price liked one of my tweets. So, uh, yeah. That, I saw that, yes. that, that was That was a proud moment in my history, Russ Cohen. But, uh, you know. As I mean, it could have been better if Walt Frazier did. <laughs> Not among our finest point guards on the roster. Uh, if you're looking at the totality of his career, he would be, but certainly not for what he did here. He was here. He was no Mark Price or even he wasn't even a Terrell Brandon, my friend. Oh, <laughs> hey, Terrell, Bra Terrell Brandon, uh, for a guy who was a key player in the Sean Kemp trades, uh, Terrell Brandon had a lot of value. I believe he was an all-star in 97, for example. But, uh, yeah, so uh, with all these, uh, again, great memories through sports, let's take a moment here before we wind around and, and just hit this again here with the uh, the NHL entry draft coming up. What could be more timely than for folks to get in on this new series you got going on with uh, Kendall? Yeah, Tales of the NHL Draft. Uh, just go to Amazon.com, Kindle Vela, and look up Russ Cohen, and you'll see it. Or go to um, the Amazon Kindle iOS app and put in Russ Cohen, and you'll see it. And, yeah, I think it's timely, and that's why I'm going to pump out a few more stories. Uh, 
before the draft starts and after the draft because I think this is the time of year where it's fun to to learn about those things. It is, and that's a great resource for people to be able to check out, a great way for people to enjoy the history of hockey and uh, things that have happened over the years. This is more, just so you know, it's more storytelling sure. than um, But that's what I mean. Based. So if Making... you're looking for like hard data on drafts and percentages, right. don't. This is not no, no, no. But what I'm talking about is making history come alive in that yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. In in that sense, it's great because you know we we hear about this happened here, this happened at that thing here. What I like about this is you're putting meat on the bones of it, and you're telling actual you know human stories of how these things came about. Yeah, like the cover of it or picture of it that that I have is from the 2003 draft, which is still largely considered the greatest draft in the last like you know 15, 20 years. And, you know, this is just a random shot of the draft floor. And I forget who it is now, but there's a noticeable NHL um, executive that you see right off the bat there. You don't even realize it. You know, just one of those things, you know, just a quick random shot. That's it. Yeah. But it has the draft board. You know, I always, I do that every draft. I get either someone who's with me to take it or I take it. And, you know, I, I didn't even remember doing it. I just found it in the file. I'm like, oh, look, I even did it in a three. So, there you go. Yeah. There you go. I mean, it's it's a slice of history right there. You're, you're capturing things from, I mean, this is the very definition of capturing something for posterity. And yeah. then uh, to go back and have these stories to tell, uh, that is definitely uh, something that uh, people should be checking out. And I know you'll be having uh, links to it, of course. Uh, anybody checks out yes. uh, at Sportsology on Twitter. I know that's going to be a place where people can find the information as you go along with this as well. So. Yes. Yeah, I know you got some stuff here. Uh, certainly, uh, it's going to be a busy remainder of the month for you with uh, the NHL expansion draft, the NHL entry draft. So, uh, again, the uh, the Kendall series, a great way to celebrate that. Uh, again, great to break down the Stanley Cup final with you, uh, my friend. Thank you so much for making time, as always. Always, Rick. Always a pleasure. Always fun. Thanks, Russ. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, always oh, and, and rest in peace, Paul Longo. Oh, yes, yes. Mr. The, the Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. It's a, it's a sad day. In the world of the pro graps here, one and, of my uh, favorites. One of my yes. favorites. He was such a good, he was such a good feud guy. He had great feuds with like Hogan and Flair, and and I don't know what I don't remember what WrestleMania was that. Remember, like they both got counted out, but like he hit the floor before Hogan did by like two seconds. Remember that? Well, that was that was the Saturday night's main event before WrestleMania three, and apparently they were still unsure of Andre's health at the time. So they had a little bit of a trick finish there in case. Now, I think they beat Hogan Orndorff to death around the circuit many times, but there was a possibility that was going to be the backup match for WrestleMania three. That wouldn't have sold out the Silverdome. What I say is, it was really close. They could have screwed that up. They could have. Yeah. That could have just, you know, human error could have gotten screwed up. Oh, just just like the Luger and uh, Bret Hart thing in 94, and uh, Bret Hart, I guess, just tweeted recently about what a great, because Luger was more so in charge of the timing on that tumble, and that they hit the floor simultaneously. Uh, Both guys former uh, lounge guests, so I'll put them both over for that, but uh, Hogan Orendorf, had they done the turn when they did the Andre turn, that one could have sold out the Silverdome, but this this was nine months in, Russ. They beat it to death around the circuit. Yes. Timing is everything. So, yeah, Orndorff, a great one. An overlooked moment in history uh, because nothing really came of it there. It was, I think he must have been on his way out in Georgia. But uh, some of my earliest memories of watching as a kid, the angle where uh, killer Tim Brooks beat him for the national heavyweight title and immediately sold it to Larry Zabisco. 
And <laughs> that was uh, that was just prior to I think Orndorff showing up in uh, the WWF at the time. And okay. uh, yeah, from some of my earliest memories of watching the then Georgia Championship Wrestling on the Superstation, which as we've said before, that was more my jam growing up. Was more so watching yeah. TBS at six oh five. And uh, so that's yeah. how I learned about Orndorff before. Uh, the WWF. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. He had a good following there, and then I guess uh, I may check out uh, some of the. He had a he had a good uh, history, I guess, in Mid South, and I may try and yeah. dig up some of his gems there. But uh, yes, Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff, as of today, pile driving fools in heaven. So R.I.P. Mister Wonderful, one of the all time greats. I'm glad you thought to bring that up here, Russ. And on that fitting note, to one of the all time greats, Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff. For Russ Cohen, I'm Rick Morris. Thank you for joining us today for our Stanley Cup final breakdown in 2021.